But with that, let's pray, and we'll look at our passage for today. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Uh, Again, Lord, we thank you for our church family. We thank you, uh, Lord, just how you're in our midst and how you're amongst us and how you you really do lead us uh, as we sang that prayer that you would lead us all the way. We thank you that you lead us as a church family through through difficult times. We thank you that uh, you lead us through good times. Uh, and we are uh, very um, just grateful, Lord, for this relationship we have with you. Uh, we pray that you would lead us as we turn our attention to these, uh, really the last, this, this in many ways, are the la- these are the last two uh, instructional verses in, in Colossians before Paul um, sends his greetings to everybody. And so, Father, we pray that you would Help us uh, to understand what is said today and how it applies in our lives. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Um, all right, Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt so that you would know how you should respond to each person. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would lead us now, and it's in Christ's good name. I pray. Amen. You know, as I was praying about the ups and downs, and it kind of it dawned on me that what well, we didn't announce, because like out of sight, out of mind, we have this situation happening. <laughs> but there's another situation, and Isaac, you know, Isaac, who moved away, left us for Iowa, he's engaged now to Rachel. So, so that's the other breaking news. Like, you know, he's out of sight, out of mind, so I figure I should, you know, Isaac used to play the piano, Donna Christina's son, and, and so he's getting married in I, I, Iowa. So, um, so that's exciting. Okay, so as we get to the end of Colossians, I, I thought it'd be good. This, this, in many respects, is like, the end of Paul, what he has to say to the church in Colossians. As we get into next week, the last handful of verses are greetings. He's going to explain who he's sending with them. He's going to give some instructions to, to greet the people that are there, to send his greetings from the people um, that he's with, and just sort of like what they're to do with the letter. And apparently there was another letter he sent. And so we'll, we'll get into that next week. But today really is like Paul, what he had to say is now being concluded. And I thought it would be good to sort of look at his prayer at the very beginning of Colossians, because so much of what he prayed there, he kind of brings up again here, and, and it kind of helps us to know the thrust and the purpose of Paul's writing this letter, what he desired to communicate to them, and really to us, how we're to apply it in our lives. And so back in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, what Paul writes is this, for this reason... Also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that, the purpose clause, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And so in that prayer, so much of that prayer, he unpacked for us within the letter of Colossians. 
we see in that prayer that he asked that they would be able to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. And as we conclude today, or sort of conclude or hit this, this section, what Paul's instruction for us today is how we live our lives, how we walk, how we, our Christianity plays itself out to the, to the world that doesn't know Christ and doesn't love Christ, doesn't know about him, it matters to God. And he wants us to live our lives in a way that reflects well on him. He's, he's addressed things internally, sort of um, our relationships within our families, our marriages, our relationships between parent and children, our relationships in our workplace environment, our, play, our, our relationships within the body of Christ. And now he concludes with the, the implication, our responsibility to the outside, those that are not a part of the body of Christ. And so in verse 5, we read, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. And so these last two verses were really simple. And as I was looking at them this week, that's why I was like, oh, there's like, is there enough here to really like expand upon? Um, or do I just want to wrap up the whole, just kind of like wrap up Colossians and, and move on? And so I started looking at this first this, this verb here, this conduct yourselves, and I, like, what is, what is this word? Interestingly enough, the word is used a lot in the New Testament. It's, it's, uh, it's the word peripateo, which is, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a word that's really special to me, um, only because it was a word that I had to study when I was in seminary in Greek, and I had to, like, do a word study on the fruit of the Spirit, and within the fruit of the Spirit, this word appears, and it, it's a military term, kind of like the idea of getting in step. And, and it's only translated here as conduct yourselves. Throughout the New Testament, it's, it's translated walk or walking. Mo- of the 95 times it's used, most of the times it's like Jesus was even walking along the lake kind of thing. Like, so some of them are kind of benign, like just it's more just a descriptive word, not but then there are others that are really meaningful. If you're somebody who does, you know, look at a concordance and you know how to access words of, of the Bible, um, this is something that I would encourage you to do. Like if you just go to this word and look at how it's used uh, throughout the New Testament, it's, it's encouraging. And as I did that this week, it was too hard to choose like all of them, but I tried to pick a, a, a handful that would help us to understand how this word is used to conduct yourselves or that you would walk in a manner that's worthy uh, before God. Like, how else does Paul use this? And so I chose a handful of selections. They're all up behind me. Um, In Romans chapter 6, verse 4 is the first one that grabbed my attention. And Paul writes there, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might, there's the word, walk in newness of life or conduct ourselves in newness of life. And so he gives the framework. Before you knew Christ, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. You were not a part of the body of Christ. You were, you were, you were at war with God and his wrath was waiting you. Then you responded to the gospel, you received, the spirit came upon you, you're baptized from death into life, newness of spirit, and 
As a result, he says, so that we might walk in this newness of life. So if you've received Christ as your Savior, there is a distinction between your old life and your new life, your old ways and your new ways. God's gospel transforms us, and we become new creations. Then in Romans, he continues in Romans 4.15, this one also was really convicted, convicting to me in light of our, our culture. And I know for the last couple of weeks, I've kind of like stepped on some people's uh, toes. Jeremiah had mentioned to me that he, I should have warned him, and he should have worn closed-toed shoes. He was up there in flip-flops. I notice he's wearing shoes today. I don't know if they're steel-toed or not, but I'll try to go lightly on this one. But this one was like really convicting because in the, in the, in the last 18 months, I feel like we've entered a season with COVID that is, that is really, it's the closest that I think that the modern church has experienced anything like the, the, the meat issue. And so let me explain. So Romans fourteen fifteen, Paul writes, For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. And so this word conduct yourselves is, is used again here. If you're no longer walking according to love w- within the context of the body of Christ. And the greater context of this, this situation is in, in Rome, you have a group of believers that were both uh, Jewish in nature, that they were Jewish non-believers, then they encountered Christ, and then they became uh, Christians but they, they were Jews. And so Jesus fulfilled Judaism. It wasn't like they just walked away from Judaism. Judaism Jesus fulfilled Judaism. And so many of their practices, they continued to, to walk in. But then you also had, you had a situation where a bunch of Gentiles, which is most of us, uh, became believers in Christ. And they weren't raised according to the Jewish traditions. And and, and then historically, what you had is as the Jewish church exploded in Rome, you had Nero who basically kicked out all of the Jewish people of, of Italy. And then the Gentile church began to flourish. Then a new Nero came in. And now the Jews are coming back, but they're now the minority. And the Gentiles were sort of dominant. And so you have this major friction amongst them about how do you live and operate and how do you go about life. And one of the super... Uh, like critical things that they had was meat because meat has always been very important to humanity, like for barbecue and stuff. And, and like, seriously, like this last few months, it's ridiculous meat prices, right? Man, I like, I mean, if you guys know me, you know, I've been smoking meat for a while and I haven't really smoked a lot of meat. I've been going there going like show up at Costco and I see, okay, pork ribs should be about 20 bucks. And it's like 60 bucks. I'm like, I'm not paying 60 bucks for pork ribs. But if I could walk out of Costco next door and there were pork ribs that had been sacrificed to idols, that I could buy the same pork rib for 20 bucks? (laughs) My smoker would be going again. And so what happened during this time is... There was meat that had been sacrificed to idols, and then it was no longer needed, and so you could buy the meat at a fraction of the price. And then there was kosher meat 
that was way more expensive. And so Paul, who is this Jew, like he says, man, all, like all of these idols that are foolishness, like that all meets the same. You have freedom to eat whatever you want to eat. But in the church, if a Gentile was to have that meat that was half price or three quarters the price, 75% off, it would be very offensive to the Jewish person. And the, view, the, the Jewish person would be like super offended. Then the Gentile would be like, you're like, what are you, like, why would you want to pay that much money more? And so like this was like a, a huge issue that was destroying the church. Um, as I've sort of surveyed and sort of kept my pulse on like what churches are doing uh, within the United States, outside of the United States, I haven't really found it to be so much of an issue from like, you know, as far as my feelers can go. But there, there are churches in the United States that if you want to come and attend, you have to show proof of vaccination. Others you don't like, and I'm not looking for a reaction. Um, but this is like a super device. This, can, this has the potential for like super divisiveness. Um, I'm like, I haven't really mapped out what I want. This is like I kind of came to a crossroads in my head. I thought I'd have like certainty. But I just want you all to like look around at each other. Just like have a look at your brothers and sisters in Christ. Like I think that we're a very, I feel like we're, we're, we're a very loving church. Um, I'm thankful that, I ha- that we haven't, um, uh, like we haven't experienced any sort of like conflict that I know or that's been brought to my attention. I'm not asking you to share with me. If it is. Like I'm not, um, um, and I'm not asking for a show of hands, but, but, in, but in my estimation of my pulse of our congregation, I'd say about half of our congregation is vaccinated and about half are not vaccinated. That's, that's my total unofficial guesstimate. Like this is not uh, that I have any idea. And when I look at this, like you're walking in, in love, like, I, like I'm an American, I believe in that freedom and that like, I could care, like, say I could care, I mean, I care about you guys, I love you guys. But like, I don't care if you guys have your hepatitis or your, now I can't even list the shot, the tetanus one. Like, I got everything. I was in the military. I'm, I'm like, I'm vaccinated from like here to Japan for like everything, like even anthro, like stuff that I like not happy about getting from the military. But it's like, I don't, like the context isn't here. And, and I would say that like, when I look at this, this, for if because of food, your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to, like, have your opinion, have your thing. Um, but as far as like the body of Christ, like, this isn't something that we divide over. This isn't something that we argue about. Like you, there, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who love Jesus. They've gotten the vaccine. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who love Jesus who don't want the vaccine. Great. Should be as simple as that, right? And I'm thankful, like as far as I've seen, like it's been that, like, but I think that, like, when I saw this, it's like there's a reminder that this is the closest that I think that we've experienced where it's like things that are being said. And I'll move on. Um, Galatians 5.16, the verse that I really like, or conduct yourselves, walking. Galatians 5.16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And so here the implication is, is if you're a Christian and you have the Spirit of God, this is the word uh, that was very meaningful to me. It was like, 
if you are a believer and the context is that you are a believer, that the idea is that the Spirit of God within you is doing something, he's going about his business, and that we as believers have the opportunity to get into step with the Spirit or to be out of the step with the Spirit. And he's saying, if you're in step with the Spirit, then your old nature, the desires of your flesh, you won't, you won't carry out those desires. And so we're, we're instructed to get in step with the Spirit, to conduct our lives in that, that way. Ephesians 2.10 this is a beautiful verse. It says, for we are his uh, workmanship, uh, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. There's that word, walk in them, that we would carry it out. That word workmanship earlier, it's a beautiful word. It's like where we get the word poem from. And so it's like that you're God's like poem. And he's created you uniquely. He's gifted you for a purpose. And he has this idea for you and how you living out your life, it's a beautiful thing to him. And so we're told that we're to to walk in these things that God has created us for. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 2 and 8, we read, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice uh, to God is a fragrant aroma, for you were formal. I love this one. For you were formally darkness. It doesn't say you were in darkness. It says you were darkness. Terribly offensive, you know, like that you were darkness. For you were formally darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In Ephesians five fifteen, he continues. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men but as wise. And he goes on to say, make the most of your time, which sort of fits our context. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So all of these ideas, if you're in Christ, he's saved you, he's redeemed you, he's, per- he's, he's, he's created you for a reason, he's gifted you, He didn't save you to continue living how you used to be living. He saved you. He's equipped you for a purpose. And that we're to get on track and to be in step in walking with him. The last two verses we'll look at are 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. There we read, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness or conduct ourselves in the darkness, we'd lie And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then finally in 3 John 4, the apostle John, at the end of his life, he writes this, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. And so for the Apostle Paul, he says that like, as an apostle who during Jesus' life, he was like the baby of, of all of the apostles. They were all killed for their faith, and then he lives to be this old man. And then as he's an old man, like tradition holds that like he couldn't walk because he was like boiled, and they tried to kill him, and it didn't work. And then he was like, he, was, like, they, they, he couldn't walk. He's super old. 
and they, the tradition holds, I have no idea if it's true, but it's just a great story, you know, like, so like we'll run with it, but it's like, it fits his writing that they would like carry him in and he would just sort of say, love one another, love one another, love one another. And so at his last writing, like one of his last writings, I say, he says that the, the thing that brings me the greatest joy is to see those that have given their lives to Christ, that they have focused on conducting themselves in the truth and living for God. And so I, I totally think it's worthwhile to go through and look at like the 95, well, probably like about 50 of the words, if you want to do that, because the first, the, all the New Testament, all of like the Gospels are just Jesus walking on the beach. So there's not a whole lot there that I saw. But I think that the, the main implication when we read verse 5, conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders and making the most of an opportunity, like the implication is, is that if we've received Christ as our Savior, our lives matter. As we read through these verses, how we conduct ourselves within the body of Christ matters, but it doesn't stop there. How we conduct our lives outside of the body of Christ also matters. And so he says, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. So we need a whole, like, wisdom. Like, we live in a, in a world where it seems like everything is a landmine. Like, what you say, what you do, what you believe, like, it's, it, it's a total, it's difficult. Like, and we need wisdom. James tells us in James 1.5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So the Bible tells, like, you need wisdom? Ask God for it. Which brings us to the verse last week, Colossians 4, verse 2. Do you guys remember last week's verse? Or you forget already? Like, Devote yourselves to prayer, that, that we need to be devoted to prayer, that we're communicating with God as you go out. Like, Lord, there's a bunch of landmines out here. I don't know how to interact. Like, I need wisdom to interact with my coworker who not only does not know you, but he's hostile towards you, and he's hostile towards me because I've given my life to you. He says, wisdom towards outsiders making the most of the opportunity. And so I think our hearts need to be like that of Christ, is that our hearts need to view the world not in hostility, but in compassion as for those for whom Christ has died, that your coworker who's hostile towards the gospel, that, that your heart would be sensitive and like, Lord, give me wisdom to interact with this individual so that I might be a, a, a light to you and may you give me an opportunity to somehow put a chink in his armor or something. It's like something. Then he goes on to say in verse 6, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. I like that. I mean, I just, we talk about barbecue. My, I buried my buddy that was in the seal team. Like, this is going to be like a leap. Like, a couple weeks ago, I had to bury a buddy of mine from the seal teams. And during the, during the service, um, there's a picture of him barbecuing because like, like people like barbecuing. And so like during the memorial service, it's like he's preparing some meat and he like looks at his wife. He's like, well, we're going to salt the edges. He's like, do you know why we salt the edges? So I was like, no, I don't know why we salt the edges. And he's like, because we eat the edges. <laughs> so 
Salt is good. Okay, so that you'll know how to... It fits the context. (laughs) Seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. It's literally your speech. It's your words. Like the word is logos. So let your words, which is super convicting. Like I'm a guy who likes words coming out of my mouth. Like I process things by letting words flow freely. I don't understand people who can think without talking. Like I don't under like there I know there are, there are people and I'm not going to look at them that are very silent, and it's like then they open their mouth and I know as soon as they open their mouth I need to like open my ears because whatever they're about to say is good because they don't speak that often but when they do I wish I had that I don't but it's literally like let your words always be marked with grace. Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. So we need to somehow, like when I say we, like me, I need to somehow figure out how to get this filter that only allows the words out Words that are filled with grace, that are seasoned with salt. Now, salt was used, there was three ways that salt was used during the, the time that this was written. Number one, it, like we today, it was a form to preserve food um, so that it would still be edible for many, like a long time afterwards. Um, it was used as an antiseptic to, to, to kill things. And then finally, it was used as seasoning. And so of all these three choices, all the commentators believe that what Paul is saying here is that third option, that, it, that it, your words should be used um, so that what you're saying and as you reflect Christ, that it would become, make things desirable. Um, like gracious words are like so attractive and appealing when I when I'm around people that, like, I'm married to a person like this, I don't know how she does Like, always is like, it's like the bright side of life. You know, everything's always the positive spin, like, but genuine. Her, my father-in-law is the same way. There are people. I've always loved these people. Like, I remember going through Hell Week, and there was a guy that I was going through Hell Week with, miserable. And when, whenever I see a picture, there's, like, one guy that's smiling. <laughs> and he's just, like, making everybody laugh. And I'm like, how, like... Can't you just be like angry and upset? Like, just. And it's like, he'd be the guy that we're all like wanting to quit, and he'd say something, and then we're all laughing, forgetting that we want to quit. And it's just like, there's, there's, there's power in it. And, and when I think about being around people who like know the Lord, and they're able to use their words, it's like, I just want more of like, of that. And so I think that there's a, there's a challenge here for us as believers in this world that's filled with landmines is that there's this, there's this challenge for us to like set down our weapons, to, to be less combative in what we have to say to people, to think through and to be strategic about how we can end these moments to share Christ. Um, like, 
and I think God will lead us. One of the things, like, so in seminary, I've talked about the, the guy, limo driver, Mr. Black. Dr. Black was his name. And uh, Anna reminded me. She's like, yeah, this is Dr. Black. And I was in the class. And how can you not remember his name? I'm like, I can't. He's just a limo driver that had the stroke that was super smart. And he was like this. And I had this evangelism class with us. And it was like, I'm like, okay, great. Like, I, I don't consider myself an evangelist. And then this guy starts talking. And it was like November to December was the, the block that the class fit. And I know I've told this story a bunch. Like, I've just told this. So I'm thinking, okay, i got to suck up this class, eight weeks. It's required for the degree. I'm going to go through there. I'm going to learn about evangelism, and that's going to be it. And then he tells us after the first week, he's like, well, the rest of our classes aren't going to be in class. We're going to meet here, and we're going to carpool down to the mall. Huh? <laughs> and then we're going to evangelize at the mall. I'm like, it's Christmas time. Nobody wants to talk about Jesus during the mall at Christmas time. Like, are you kidding me? So I did a lot of laps. Um, at the mall, and I just see this old limo driver. You know, he's got all these kids, a big crowd, and he's like, has them laughing. And, and I'm like, I don't understand you. Like, I don't understand. Like, I don't know how you do this. Like, I like, I don't like the mall. Period. And then to like talk to people, that's even worse. And then he started sharing. He's like, Well, it's okay to have fun and to engage with people. And I'm like, Yeah, that's not my thing. Like, I am not. Um, but he'd like, he told he was kind of critical against, you know, Christians like talking about Romans Road. And I don't, I want to be like, because Romans Road is the Bible. There's like these like four verses through Romans that kind of, like, I think from a theological perspective, like, outline sort of like a process of like a person who's not in Christ, how uh, the transaction sort of happens. And it, it sort of lays out these things. And, and so much in Christian culture is like, that what you need to do is you need to go confront people and get your spiel out. And at the end of the spiel, they're supposed to convert. And you're not supposed to listen to them. Like, I mean, you're probably like, this is, this is my, how I perceived it. And he was like really opposed to it too. He's like, well, when I first started going to talk to people, I had a guy and we went somewhere and he got through his spiel and I'm looking at the lady that he's talking to. And I'm like, this lady, next time somebody wants to talk about Jesus, she's not going to ever, like, she's not going to hear a word because of what this guy just did. And he's like, we turned around, and then the guy, not me, but, but he said that this guy was like, I got through the spiel. I got, and he's like, that's terrible. He's like, that lady's never going to, like, respond to the gospel because of what you just did to her. You were super disrespectful. You didn't listen to the things she was saying. You just got through your spiel. And, um, like, so it like, had a big impact. And then somewhere along the line, I was introduced to this book, so we're going to have a little story time. I have a copy if you guys, well, I have one copy if somebody wants to borrow it. But the introduction, so this is a British guy. I'm going to read the first page because I think what he says, it's always stuck with me on like evangelism. So he's a, he's a British evangelist, like he's a guy that goes into campuses, speaks with college students, and then has like Q&A, and basically he takes a beating. So the introduction by Nick Pollard. I'm writing this introduction at a university in York, England, where I'm currently in the middle of a campus mission. Through the window, I can see groups of students walking into the student union where I shall soon be speaking and answering questions. I am nervous, very nervous. A good friend said to me recently, there is one thing you'll never suffer from as an evangelist. What's that, I asked. Constipation, he replied. (laughs) Too right. 
Nerves will always see to that. I don't need prunes on my bran flakes this morning. Why is it? I love this book. Like, it's like, <clears throat> too, too right. Nerves will always see to that. I, I didn't need prunes on my bran flakes this morning. Why is it that evangelism is so difficult? Why is it so nerve wracking? There are lots of reasons, and I shall seek to deal with as many as I can in this book. But I don't expect that reading it will make evangelism easy. Nothing can do that. All I can say is that it should help you to find evangelism slightly less difficult, which is the title of the book. Where do we start? Whenever I meet people who are not Christians and seek to help them, I usually find they fall into one of four categories. First, there are those who are just about ready to become Christians. Perhaps they've been thinking about Jesus for some time. They know that the Christian gospel is true, and they simply need someone to call them to respond. I have no illusions about what I am doing for these people. I am just picking ripe fruit. In fact, sometimes the fruit is so ripe on the tree that all it takes is an old cow to bump into the trunk for it to fall off. That's what I sometimes feel like, an old cow going around bumping into trees. Second, there are some who really want to become Christians but are holding back because they have lots of questions and doubts which they need to deal with first. One student said to me, I think I want to become a Christian, but before I do, I need to know that it is actually true. He was full of questions and was looking for satisfactory answers. Third, there are those who are genuinely interested but are not really sure where to begin because they know so little about Jesus. Often they haven't got questions because at the minute, they don't really know what the issues are. Over the years, some people have said to me, thank you ever so much for coming. I don't know anything about Jesus because I've never been to church or read the Bible, but I do want to find out. So far, there doesn't seem to be much of a problem, does there? For if everyone fell into one of these three categories, evangelism would be pretty straightforward. As long as we are able to teach them about Jesus, answer their questions, and lead them to Christ, we are home free. We could do all of our friends in a few days and next week start on India. Although these are clearly, these three are clearly identifiable categories into which some people fit, the fact is that they account for only a minority of the total. The vast majority of people today are in the fourth category. They simply, they are simply not interested. Some are openly hostile, but others just seem apathetic about the whole subject. They are quite happy with their own non-Christian worldviews. Thank you very much. If you want to believe in all that stuff about Jesus, that's okay for you, but just leave me alone. If we are going to be effective in evangelism, we must be able to help people in each of these four categories. That is why the book is divided into four. Each part will consider, okay, he's going to talk about blah, 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 categories, but then he says this. This is the term I like to describe the process of helping people who are currently comfortable with their non-Christian beliefs to think about them again and possibly to become uncomfortable with them so much so that they began to find out about Jesus. Okay, that's a lot. It's like long story time. The guy is really good. But his whole premise is not to get about your spe- through your spiel. His whole premise is to actually like listen to people, hear what they have to say, 
understand which category they fall in, and if they're like hostile to the gospel, the, the aim isn't necessarily even the first step to lead them to Christ. The first step is to, to sort of shake their moorings and to make them feel uncomfortable with their own system and let their logic follow them out. And he does a great job sort of explaining how the church could really improve in communicating with a lost world, which I do think that we need, we need, we need help in. And so Paul says, let your speech always be filled with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. We need God's help. We need him to to give us wisdom. We need him to give us insight. We need him to lead us in like each person has a different story and they're dealing with different things. We can't just go in with our like assumptions and tell them what they need to believe. We need to help them sort of make that journey. Like, I don't know where you are in your spiritual development. I know that early in my Christian life, like, it was not the time for me necessarily to evangelize. Like, I think I tried, but I realized that when I was around my buddies, what happened is my buddies would influence me. I didn't have the, the maturity and wisdom to sort of to, to navigate the systems. I would go around my friends, and I could have the best of intentions, but I wasn't equipped. I didn't have the maturity. And then before you know it, I was like, well, all I knew is the next morning I had a whole bunch of receipts in my pocket for how many drinks I bought the night before because I was like, oh, that evangelism trip didn't work out that well. Maybe next time, you know? Like, and so then I ultimately, like, God pulled me away from a lot of my SEAL buddies, and I just couldn't engage with them because God was, like, preparing me. And then years went by, and now I'm, like, 30 years removed from that gunner, and it's like, well, now I have all these relationships with a bunch of my SEAL buddies because now God's like, now it's time for you to go back in, like, like years ago. Like, it's time for you to kind of like start engaging. And so I don't know where you are in the spectrum. Maybe you're maturing in your relationship with Christ. You're just figuring out the ABCs and getting your bearings straight and, and building up like how you can navigate these, these circumstances. Or maybe you've been in the Christian world for a long time and you just like, you have zero contact with the non-Christian world. And so when I look at this passage, the first obvious thing that, that, that jumps out at me is that we as Christians should actually have meaningful relationships with a world that doesn't know Jesus. Like you should have people that your heart is breaking over that you love and that you put up with their hostility towards you because they don't know Jesus. I'm going to close. Like I heard a missionary speak, um, years ago, and it was, like, profound, and she was talking on the subject about, like, how the church tries to come up with all these, like, things to go out and to, like, evangelize people with no, like, meaningful relationship. And she looked at everybody that was there. It was, like, in seminary, and she's like, you know, so many churches will love people to evangelize them, meaning that they'll, they'll, they'll put on some f- sort of shallow sort of love in order then to, like, get them with, the like, the to trade the bait and switch, you know? And she's like, well, what I've learned in my years of being a missionary is I've established really real meaningful relationships with people. And I ultimately want to evangelize them and share Christ with them because I genuinely love them. Because I've come to know them, I've invested in their lives, and, and my heart is so burdened for them, so then I share. And it's a process. And so my, my prayer for us as, as a church family is that we would genuinely 
in your individual lives be strategic about those that don't know Christ, asking God for wisdom, figuring out how you can relate to them so that, that you could have the words to share, maybe like a breadcrumb just to like point them to Christ, that your life uh, would be filled with grace and that your speech would be that that would be like seasoned so that they would say, I, I think I want to taste a little bit more of that. Like, what, like, tell me about this Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We do thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this letter of Colossians. We thank you for this relationship that we have with you because of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Father, we're so thankful for the people who have invested in our lives, who have been your ambassadors for each one of us who knows you as Savior. It it came through a human touch. It came through somebody that was willing to share. Most times, somebody's life aligned with the gospel that they were speaking of. And so we thank you for these people who have influenced us in our journey towards the cross. And Father, as we who are here, who have encountered Jesus as our Savior, we pray, Father, that you would continue to grow us, Lord, that you continue to give us wisdom, that you would uh, help us with our words, our speech, Lord, help us to be intentional uh, with how we interact with a world that doesn't know you. We pray that you would burden us for those that don't know Christ. We pray that you would truly give us your heart and your eyes as we look out around the world that we live in. Uh, It's so far from you. And so we just need wisdom, Lord, in figuring out how to tell people about Jesus. And so we ask that you would uh, help us in this way. We thank you for your faithfulness in our own lives. I pray for anybody here that's, that's... contemplating the issue of the cross, that you would help them uh, to fill in the blanks and that they would be able to receive Christ as their Savior in a way that that they're they're able to to get the questions that they have answered. Uh, We thank you again, Lord, for our church family, and we thank you that your hand is upon us. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.